Well, tonight we are continuing our series, Unqualified. And I hope you guys have been encouraged by this series. Because really the entire heart behind this series is that God uses ordinary people for extraordinary purposes. What we've, our goal really has been to do by looking at Hebrews 11 is to see that these heroes of faith that are recorded in the hall of faith, really when we peel back the layer of their lives, they're really not all that heroic after all. What we did in our first week together is the title of our message was Finding Faith. And really we're laying the foundation for the series by defining what faith is. And if you remember over and over again, and what I'm trying to pound into us is that faith is not a possession. Faith is persuasion. Look, you guys didn't get it last week, but you got it this week. Faith is not a possession. Faith is what? Faith is persuasion. In fact, in the original language, in the Greek, the root word for faith is pytho. And the word pytho means to persuade. And so what faith is, is persuasion in which God is the great persuader. And as we see who God is and we see the evidence of God, what we, our response is, is to respond in faith. It's to trust him. It's to be persuaded. It's to be convinced that God is who he says he is. And because God says who he is, we are then responding to him. Remember our first week together, we we looked at the idea of we inhale grace and we exhale faith. As we inhale who God is, we inhale grace. We inhale that we're forgiven, that we're chosen, that we're loved. As we inhale grace, we Exhale faith. God, I will obey. God, I will follow. God, I will respond. As we inhale grace, we exhale faith. Faith is persuasion to who God is. That's what we saw in week one. And week two, we looked at forgetting failure. That it's possible to be a person of faith and a person of failure. We looked into the life of Abraham. Abraham, who's been considered the father of faith. There's more verses given to Papa Abe than anyone else in the hall of faith. And here, the father of faith is really the father of failure. When we look back, we looked at these key moments in his life. We see that God is so gracious to record in his scripture that by faith, Abraham obeyed because it was eventually he obeyed. By the end, he obeyed. Eventually, he partially obeyed. It was incomplete obedience. We saw that his life would start off good, but then he was kind of holding on to, to these different areas of his life, and he wasn't fully persuaded by God until the very end. We see that eventually, he continues to respond in faith over and over and over and over again. And last week, we saw that God forgets our failures and remembers our faith. We know that this is all because of the cross. That really, as we look into the life of Abraham and the father of faith, it was always looking forward to Jesus. That because of Jesus' shed blood, we can be forgiven of our sins and our failures are separated as far as east is from the west. And now all that is recorded in the heavenlies is our faith. It's our response to God. It's our reward for seeking Him. We saw last week that God is a God who both persuades and pursues. That even in moments of failure, God is continuing to show up in our lives to re-persuade us, pursuing us even in our lowest moments to place our trust back in Him. 
So last week, we talked really on the subject of failure. And as we wrap things up tonight, the title of our message, if you're a note taker, is Finally Fulfilled. Finally Fulfilled. Have you ever been promised something before? You've been promised something and that promise didn't come to fulfillment. Anyone ever been there before? Some high promises. I remember, uh, uh, not to throw my dad in the bus or anything, but when we were young and uh, he was teaching me how to surf and I was falling in love with surfing and I loved, loved, loved just traveling all over California surfing and he would always promise me, son, someday we're going to go on a surf trip and he would show me pictures of his trip to the Mintwai Islands in Indonesia and this perfect surf and he's like, someday I'm going to take you there, son. Well, 14 comes around, 15 comes around, 16 comes around, 17 comes around, 18 comes around. Still haven't been to the Mintawai Islands with the pops. But the promise, when it's not fulfilled, there can be disappointment, right? There can be disappointment when we're promised something and that promise doesn't come to fulfillment. You ever been promised to go to a certain place to eat and they're like, man, the food is amazing, And you get to the restaurant, you're like, what is this? It was like horrible service. The food's terrible. You get food poisoning. And man, the promise did not meet its fulfillment. Well, I want you to consider here for a moment that here in Hebrews chapter 11, that everybody that's recorded in Hebrews chapter 11 were responding by faith to a promise. It was all to a promise. It was a promise by God. They were persuaded by God. God had given them a promise of a covenant, of a Messiah, of a Redeemer, of a Deliverer, of a promise. And they were by faith believing in that promise. And God would fulfill in his promises. Here we see in Hebrews chapter 11 that these were all responding to a promise of the Father. Now I also want you to reconsider for a moment the entire book of Hebrews. The context of why this is being written. Because I think it's really similar to what some of us are walking through today. There in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 39, it sums it up great. It says, but there we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. In other words, the entire context of the book of Hebrews, which we mentioned last week, the entire context was there was a group of people that were being unconvinced and unpersuaded to follow Jesus. They were being unconvinced and unpersuaded in moments of misery and adversity. They were like, I don't know if I can follow Jesus any longer. And so here they are, and they are shrinking back from the faith. They're looking to go back into the Mosaic law, to rather than trusting in Jesus, to trust in their own flesh, to trust in their own works, to trust in their own performance, because it would be easier. There are many today, and I would say it's really natural in moments to doubt or to rethink what it would look like to go back, to depart from the faith. What would it look like, the enemy likes to fantasize in our brains, what it would look like to stop following Jesus? Well, here, this is the context of why the author is writing to the Hebrews. He's trying to re-persuade them to continue in the faith. And all the book of Hebrews is, is all about how Jesus is better. And here, as we get to Hebrews chapter 11, he brings it all down to this word faith that we've been looking at for these last couple weeks. Faith, divine persuasion. We pick up here in verse 32 of some interesting characters. And tonight we're going to see three things. Three things when it comes to faith. We're going to see faith and victory from verses 32 
to 35, faith and victory. We're going to see, number two, faith and adversity, or you could put in your Bibles, faith and misery from verses 36 through 38. And then we are going to look at faith and reality, faith and reality from verses 39 through 40. So let's begin with faith and victory, faith and victory. Let's reread verse 32 together. Verse 32 we read, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, and women received back their dead by resurrection. Faith and victory. Here we have these few characters that he ends out, the writer is ending out with these different names and these different victorious moments that the Israelites, the Jewish people, would have known about. They would have grown up learning about. And so here is faith and victory together. And let's go just one by one through some of these characters because it's really interesting, again, that these characters, that these men would be recorded in the Hall of Faith. Consider for a moment Gideon. Gideon here, he says, what more shall I say for time would fail me, fail to tell me of Gideon? Well, if time would fail you as a writer to tell about Gideon, let me tell you guys about Gideon. Gideon was an interesting character. Gideon, we see recorded in Judges chapter 6, we find Gideon in the threshing floor. Gideon is hiding. His people are under invasion by the Midianites. These were enemies. And Gideon is there literally hiding Threshing, it's just ridiculous where he is. It was embarrassing. And an angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and he says this, mighty man of valor. It's literally what he calls Gideon. Gideon's there like hiding, trembling, trying to escape all the craziness that's going on in the world. And the angel of the Lord appears and calls him a mighty man of valor. And this angel of the Lord, what he does is he calls Gideon to become a judge in the nation of Israel, to judge the Midianites and to deliver them. Well, Gideon really, really struggles because obviously Gideon's a little bit of a scaredy cat. He's a little bit fearful. He's a little bit timid. And so what Gideon does is Gideon is trying to unconvince God from him being the man that God would use to deliver the Israelites from the Midianites. He's like, God, are you sure? And we see this whole thing with Gideon's fleece. And he goes back and forth with God saying, God, are you sure you want me to do this? Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? And finally, what Gideon does is he is persuaded by God. He responds in faith, finally. He's weak faith, but he's responding to God. And and what God does is he gives him this army, and then he slowly begins to take away members of the army. He's like, yeah, I want you to get weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. Then he gives Gideon this crazy battle army plan to take a torch and these empty lanterns, and they were going to just make a bunch of noise, and eventually what God does is the Midianites get scared, they get confused, they think it's actually a really large army, they go against each other and they flee. And here Gideon is, and now he's a great deliverer of Israel. This is Gideon, here recorded in the Hall of Faith. Fearful Gideon, timid Gideon. Here he is recorded in the Hall of Faith. And then we have Barak. Now Barak is another judge, 
And he's an interesting character because Barak, you would not think that he was someone that would be recorded in the Hall of Faith either. If you remember the time of Barak, there was actually a prophetess that was judging over Israel named Deborah. And Deborah was going to go against the Ammonites, or it was the Phil, no, it was the Ammonites, Canaanites, sorry, the Canaanites. And the Canaanites were coming against the Israelites, and Deborah calls Barak to fight against the Canaanites. Barak doesn't want to. He's like, Deborah, if you go with me, if I get you to come with me, then I'll go into the army, but not by myself. And eventually what happens is uh, Barak does go into the army, but he is once again timid. His faith is weak. He goes in and God grants them delivery once again. Here he is recorded in the hall of faith. So we have Gideon, weak faith. Barak, weak faith. Then we have Samson. We mentioned last week, Samson was a hot mess. Samson did everything wrong. He literally did everything he wasn't supposed to do. He was born with a Nazarite vow. He ends up cutting his hair. He's drinking wine. He's touching dead carcasses. Everything that he was not supposed to do. But man, it was God's grace. The Spirit of the Lord would come upon him. And the Spirit of the Lord would come upon him. And the Spirit of the Lord would come upon him. And God would use Samson to deliver the Israelites from the hand of the Philistines. And really the only moment of faith that we see in the life of Samson, to be honest, is once his eyes are gouged out, he's tied between two pillars and he cries out to God one more time for victory over the Philistines. And it was really to get revenge... And what happens is God brings that house down upon all the Philistines and he gives them victory. And so here we have faith and victory, but it's weak faith. Weak faith. The life of Gideon and the life of Barak and the life of Samson. And then we have Jephthah. Now Jephthah is a sad character. He's another judge there in the nation of Israel in the time of the judges. And uh, Jephthah would have great victory over the Ammonites, but unfortunately he would make a foolish vow to the Lord and he would end up giving away his daughter because of this foolish vow. And so here is another character, Jephthah, weak faith. Samson, weak faith. Barak, weak faith. Gideon, weak faith. And then recorded here is David. Now, I wouldn't consider David as someone who has weak faith, but certainly he falls into the category of forgetting failures in order to be in the hall of faith because David was a king over Israel, an incredible king, but he was also an adulterer. He is also a murderer. But really, we see the lapse of faith in the life of David is when he takes a census of Israel. Now, to take a census meant that he would count all of the people that would be a part of his army. Now, rather than trusting in God, that God would continue to show himself strong and be victorious on behalf of Israel, David takes the matter into his own hands to make sure that everything is exactly how it's supposed to be. He has a moment of weak faith. And really, that's what tonight is all wrapped up in. If we can pause here and consider for a moment... How many times that we begin in the faith to trust God, to trust his plan for our life, to believe in his promises. But then as we get going in our walk with Jesus, we all have a temptation to stop trusting in God and to begin to rely in our flesh. To rely on ourselves, to rely on our wisdom. Oh, I know this Bible story. 
Oh, I know this Bible verse. Oh, I've been walking the Lord for two years or 20 years or 50 years or 60 years. And there's a temptation to begin to trust in ourselves rather to trust in God. Certainly, all of these characters that we're mentioning were trusting in themselves at different points of their lives. Yet they're recorded here in the Hall of Faith. Consider for a moment Samuel. Samuel is recorded here for us, and Samuel was an incredible prophet. He was mightily by the Lord, but it's sad to consider the life of his sons. If you remember his sons, he did not pass down the faith. It seemed that he wasn't trusting the Lord, in a sense, with his sons, and his sons would go and misuse and abuse their role as priests, and they're taking advantage of the people. So here are these different individuals recorded here as in the hall of faith. They're heroes of the faith, yet they are men with weak faith. And again, I would just pause and ask you today, where are you at in your persuasion? Do you remember the moment when you began to follow Jesus and man, you were persuaded, you were convinced You are passionate. You are on fire for the Lord. And then there's moments as you begin to walk and you get unconvinced and unpersuaded. The truths of who God has showed himself to be and the truths of God's word. In fact, this is an extremely popular thing right now within young people. And it's really all ages. It's deconstructing their faith, unconvincing themselves the truth of God's word. Are you struggling in your faith? Are you weak in your faith tonight? Well, I want you to consider as we look here and we're considering faith and we're considering these names, although they had weak faith, God still used them in incredible ways. Ordinary people used for an extraordinary purpose because their faith was in, in an extraordinary God. Here, these people had weak faith, incomplete faith, timid faith, maybe even selfish faith at moments. Yet their weak faith did not disqualify them or unqualify them from being used victoriously by the Lord. Consider for a moment that strong faith is not a requirement for great victory. Strong faith is not a requirement for great victory. Certainly we see this outlined here in Hebrews chapter 11. These men were men that did not have strong faith. They were not fully convinced and fully persuaded all the time. Their faith was faltering in moments. Their faith was weak in moments. But obviously strong faith is not a requirement for great victory. They were still able to have weak faith and experience great victory by the Lord. And again, I would pause and ask you, where are you in your faith with Jesus? Do you consider yourself of weak faith tonight? Can I say, God will still use your weak faith. God will still use whatever faith you have to offer him. For even weak faith results in great victory. Consider for a moment the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20. 
Jesus speaking to the disciples say, I tell you the truth. If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Now, this is crazy. Jesus is comparing the faith of a mustard seed. A mustard seed is tiny. A mustard seed is weak. A mustard seed is small. How many times do you feel like in order for God to use you, your faith needs to be great? Your faith needs to be huge. You need to be strong in the faith. In fact, every night for the last two weeks, I've been praying that God would increase our faith. Yes, strong faith and great faith is good. But God will even use weak faith and small faith. Because get this, what is the point of what Hebrews chapter 11 is trying to get across? And the words of Jesus, the point is this, that the power is in the source of your faith, not the size of your faith. Let me say that again. The power is in the source of your faith, not in the size of your faith. It's not about how much faith do I have. The question is, where is my faith placed? Who am I persuaded in? What do I believe in? Where is my trust in? It's not about the size. It's about the source of our faith. Let me demonstrate this to you. I brought this great little cardboard box up here. And this little cardboard box, you know, I could look at it and be like, wow, look at that. That is a great cardboard box. Man, I can really just try to have a lot of faith. Man, I believe this cardboard box is going to hold me up. Man, this cardboard box is the best cardboard out here. It's the greatest of all cardboard. It's got some great tape on it, man. It is going to hold me up. I can try to persuade myself. I can try to have great faith that this box is going to hold me up. I can just... And then I stand on it and I fall. Why? Because the point isn't the size of our faith. Wow, look how awesome this box is. It's in the source of our faith. The power is found in where my faith is placed. It's been said, it's not about your faith, the object. It's all about the object of our faith. Where is our faith placed? I can try to persuade myself to trust that this box will hold me up. But the truth is, look at this stage. I'm standing on this stage and there's power, there's strength in the stage. And so the source here of the stage is holding me up. Now, I didn't even have to think. I didn't have to have a lot of faith to get up on this. I didn't even think about it. But the stage is holding me up. The box cannot hold me up. I was trying to have faith that the box would hold me up. But it's all about the source of our faith. You could use the example of climbing a tree. You can have a lot and a lot of faith. Like, look at that tree. That tree is going to hold me up. That branch looks like a great branch to go and climb. How many times do you, you got kids that are trying to climb up branches and they're climbing up the tree and they're climbing up the tree like that? That branch is going to hold me. And then they get up on the branch and they fall, break their leg. But a strong branch doesn't matter how much faith I have. It doesn't matter the size of my faith. I climb the tree and I sit on a strong branch where the power is in the source. It's, it's in the object. Strong branch is able to hold me up. What's the point? The point is this, that the power is not in the size of our faith. It's in the source of our faith. The source of our faith. And we've already covered that God is the great persuader. 
He is the source. He is the object of our faith. Now, for these Old Testament saints, the object of their faith was a promise. It was a promise of God. It was the promise that God had given to them. And God's word is true. And God's word never fails. And so the promise was able to hold them up from not falling. Didn't matter the size of their faith. It's all about the source of our faith. So we can experience victory even when we have weak faith. If God is calling us into a place of victory, if he's calling us into a place where we're going to experience him working on our behalf, strong faith is not a requirement. Even a little faith can move mountains. Why? Because he's the persuader. He's the one holding us up. He's the one doing the work. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. He says, by faith, all things are possible to us, yet the power is not in the faith, but in the God in whom faith relies. Where does your faith rely tonight? Pause and ask yourself, where are you placing most of your trust? Is it in a little bit of Jesus and then in a lot of bit of your bank account or your retirement plan or your relationships or your marriage or your friends? Where is your faith tonight? Where is your trust to hold you up in life? It's all about the source of our faith. It's all about the object of our faith. And even weak faith can experience great victory. But as we continue in the rest of Hebrews chapter 11, faith does not, faith does not make victory Final, sorry, I'm struggling through that. Faith, you can have faith and not experience victory, is the point. Here, as we continue through Hebrews chapter 11, what we see is these great men, they had weak faith. They really weren't that great men, but they had faith in extraordinary God. God gave them extraordinary victory. But then we have those that they experienced great adversity or great misery. And here they're recorded in the hall of faith. But get this, their names aren't even mentioned. So what does this tell us about faith? That God will call us and persuade us and convince us into victory, but he will also give us faith to get us through adversity and misery. God will give us faith to get through suffering. And so in verse 36 to 38, we see some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, in the dens of caves and the earth. Here they are experiencing suffering. Here they are experiencing misery. Was it because of their lack of faith? There's some teachings today that say because you're going through that, it's because you're not believing God. You don't have enough faith for God to get you through that. Was that the case for Joseph? Was it Joseph's lack of faith that led him to being falsely accused and in prison? Was it Zechariah's lack of faith that led him to be stoned to death? 
Was it Elisha's lack of faith that led him to death? Was it Isaiah's lack of faith that led him to being sawn in two? No, it's exactly the opposite. They were able to endure extreme misery and adversity and suffering because they had faith. They were persuaded in the promise. They were convinced that God was going to get them through it and that eternity was on the other side. And so it's important to consider to be people of faith means that, yes, God will call us into victory. I pray tonight that you would would believe in God for what God has for you. We know that Jesus has exceedingly abundantly above all that we can think or ask. God desires to call us into places of victory. And we are called even with little faith, even with weak faith to believe in him. When God calls, we answer. When God initiates, we respond. God desires for us to live victorious lives, but he also gives us faith during times of suffering. It doesn't mean that every moment is going to be a mountaintop experience. Yes, again, God is calling us to great things. For we we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. I'm trying to convince you guys through this series that God has great things for you. And as we respond in faith, God has even more. He goes from glory to glory, but even from mountaintop to mountaintop, there's valley low to valley low. And God gives us faith to get through the storm. He gives us faith to get through the suffering. In fact, that faith is even more pure. That faith, it takes more persuasion to say, God, I believe you in the face of death, in the face of of a loss of loved one, in the face of a diagnosis, in the face of a job loss, in the face of problem and pain. Man, it takes even more persuasion. God, persuade me, convince me to continue to follow you during times of difficulty. And God will. God persuades. God will give us faith. God will say, continue to trust in me. Now, all of their faith, these Old Testament saints, was all based upon a promise. The promises of God in their lives. And today, I just want to give you a couple promises for those of you that might be in a place of suffering. That might be in a place of misery. Because this is the thing that what faith does. What faith does is it takes a hold of a future promise and it makes it a present reality. Faith takes a hold of a future promise and makes it a present reality. How could Isaiah be sitting there and allowing people to saw him in two? Why? Because he knew the future promise of eternity was a present reality for him. Those that go through affliction and suffering. Man, what faith does is it grabs a hold of eternity and the promises of God and it makes it a present reality. Can I tell you some of the promises of God for your life when it comes to your eternity, when it comes to your future? Consider for a second Romans chapter 8 when we are told that those whom he called, he also justified and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What that means is that for those of us that have believed in Jesus and we've been justified by faith. Justified means to be declared righteous. Just as if I've never sinned. God already views us glorified. Now glorified means to be without sin. Now ask your spouse or a close friend if you're without sin. Sin, Certainly not. But we can walk in a place without condemnation when we take a hold of this future 
promise and we make it a present reality. This is what faith does in the midst of suffering, in the midst of misery, in the midst of adversity. When you are struggling, look and behold the promises of God of the eternity that's waiting for you. And we can grab hold of the promises and we can have a peace for today. For those future promises become a present reality. This was the case for these people. These people in the face of suffering, in the face of misery, they believed in the promises of God. So much so that Hebrews chapter 11 says the world was not even worthy of them. Their faith was that great. In the midst of difficulty, the world was not even worthy of them. Galatians chapter 5 verse 5 says that through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. We eagerly await. There are certain promises that we have not yet seen. The new heavens, the new earth, every tear will be wiped away. There are certain promises that we eagerly await and we await it by what? By faith. Believing in the promises, believing in the unfailing word of God with hope, with assurance because God has been faithful in the past. He will be faithful in the future so we can grab hold of these future promises as if they are a present reality. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Faith. Believing and trusting in God. And so we're talking about faith and victory. That even with weak faith, if God is calling you to a place of victory, maybe it's over temptation, maybe it's over sin, maybe it's over some great way that God desires to use you, would you believe in Him? Would you offer Him what little faith you have and allow Him to work victoriously on your behalf? There's faith in victory. We're looking at faith in misery, that God will give us faith to get us through suffering. But I want you lastly to consider In our series, Unqualified, Faith and Reality. Look at these last few verses of Hebrews chapter 11. This is key tonight. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. All of these Old Testament saints... They had not received the promise yet. They had not received the promise of the deliverer, of the redeemer, of the Messiah. They believed in the promise. But God has provided something better for you and for me. You see, the object of our faith no longer is a promise. The object of our faith is a person. The object of our faith is a real person, a historical figure that walked the face of this planet. Last week when I went home from our midweek series, I had um, some family members staying the night at my house. And these family members are not Christians. They wouldn't consider themselves believers of Jesus. And they actually tuned into the live stream and watched some of last week's message. And we were having a conversation together about the Bible and about faith. And 
I just simply was asking some questions like, hey, you guys got a son. What are, what are the values that you're going to raise him with? You know, where do you get those values from? And we're talking about absolute truth and we're talking about the Bible. and We're having a real discussion about, hey, the inerrancy of scripture. How could I believe in something that would be so archaic and old and this absolute truth? Is that really a thing? And we're going back and forth talking about it over and over and over and over again. And Multiple times in our two-hour conversation, I just brought up the fact and the reality that there was a man named Jesus who walked the face of this planet and turned the world upside down. I said, all of it rests on a man named Jesus. All of it rests on a person that it is fact It is reality that he lived here on this planet and the Bible and extra biblical records record his words. And I shared with them the classic sayings. If Jesus walked the face of this planet, you cannot simply just say he's a good guy. You can't simply say he's just a good teacher because he's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. He's either lying about who he says he is, he's literally crazy, or he is who he says he is. What are you going to do about Jesus? You see, our faith is better than the Old Testament saints because our faith is based, it's connected to a person. And all the promises of God are fulfilled in him. Yes and amen. Jesus is the object of our faith. And he literally walked the face of this planet. And he literally died upon the cross. And he was buried in the grave. And he rose again. And over 500 eyewitnesses claimed to see him. What are you going to do about Jesus? What are you going to do about Jesus? This is where our faith is connected to. And there's evidence there. There's persuasion there. What are you going to do about Jesus? He changed everything. If he is who he says he is, then I don't have a problem believing as he's quoting scripture, as he's quoting the Old Testament, as he's interpreting and saying everything points to him. What are you going to do with Jesus? And let me just encourage you tonight, those of you that are here or watching online, if you feel like your faith is weak, can I ask you for a moment? Has your faith gone from being placed in Jesus to being placed in principles? Well, I go to church because, you know, it's the the right thing to do. It's the biblical principle to do. I, I raise my kids like this because this is the right thing to do, right? This is a biblical thing to do. Is your faith simply placed in principles? Is it faith in place in just a label? Well, this is who I am. I'm a Christian. This is what I've always known. This is what I do. This is a part of who I am. Has your faith even gone back further from that to where, yeah, I'm a Christian, but you're trusting in yourself? Listen, if your faith is weak tonight, what it's saying is God has provided something better for us. And that something better is his name is Jesus. And in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, look unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. If your faith is weak tonight. If your faith is failing, if your faith is faltering, just look to Jesus. What are you going to do about Jesus? He is alive. 
He is living. He is pursuing. He is persuading. And Jesus desires to to persuade you in times of suffering. And he desires to persuade you to places of victory. Would you look unto Jesus? All the promises are fulfilled in him. Yes and amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we... We thank you, God, that you are the object and the source of our faith. We thank you, Lord, that you can hold us up. Lord, we don't have to be concerned with holding ourselves up. But Lord, as we look and we trust in you, as we see the evidence of who you are, Lord, would you continue to re-persuade us tonight? And Lord, as we conclude this series and as we go into a time of worship, Lord, I want to pray specifically for those that may be weighed down in condemnation because of failure. They think that they're disqualified or unqualified from being used by you. Lord, would you re-persuade them that you desire to give them victory in their lives. Lord, that you have good plans for them. Lord, that you desire to do exceedingly abundantly above all that they can ask or think. God, would they look unto you? Lord, I pray for those who have weak faith tonight. Those who maybe began with faith in you, but then began to have faith in themselves once again. Lord, I pray that they would look at maybe the cardboard box that they're standing on and realizing that they've already fallen through. That their money's not going to hold them up. That their status or relationships or reputation isn't going to hold them up. That their morality and good works aren't going to hold them up. And Lord, may they choose to step back onto the rock that is you. Lord, that they would allow you to firmly hold them up through every storm and every difficulty and every problem and in the midst of all their pain. Lord, that they will go through. Lord, I pray that they would rest in you. Lord Jesus, I pray if there's anyone in this room or watching online that has never believed in you, God, I pray that they would simply respond to you tonight. I believe that you're already persuading them, that you're already convincing them, that you're already drawing them. And I pray that they would just cry out to you, I believe. I believe in you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that they would make a decision to follow you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that we can trust in you. Would you continue to increase our faith, Calvary Vista, that we would be a people that are wholeheartedly walking after you in every area of our life, in every day of our life, in every moment of our life. Lord Jesus, we give you all honor and glory and praise. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's all stand to our feet and we're just going to praise out to the Lord this final song. There's going to be some people that are up here on the sides that would love to pray with you. And maybe if if you are one of those people and your faith has been weak, I would encourage you go up and receive some prayer there in Hebrews chapter 12. It says we've been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. God has provided a family. You don't have to go through this alone. As we see what God is doing in each other's lives. Man, we're re-persuaded. Look, God is working in your life. God can work in my life. Go up and receive some prayer. And if maybe you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus, all you have to do is respond. 
The Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Simply respond to him and watch him do incredible things in your life. Let's worship him right now.